please can we give a massive welcome to Dr. John Andrews. Thank you so much for being with us. Wow. What an introduction. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, uh, and thank you. Hold on, let me just adjust. That's a bit better. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for making it. Getting through the floods and the rain. My goodness, we had a few diversions this morning, didn't we, Will? And uh, it's one of those moments where local knowledge beats a sat-nav, right? Um, my sat-nav would have been overheating trying to get here this morning because uh, of the diversions and not wanting to get stuck in, in large puddles. And I, I don't know, it's, it's always when you're trying to drive gently through and then that bloke comes the other way and it's like water just washing over your car. Thanks for that, thanks for that, appreciate that. Um, but we made it, and well done for making it this morning. It's a great joy. I uh, had a wonderful time with some of the leaders last night. And that was just a delight. So thank you for having me. The hospitality has been wonderful. The welcome has been warm. And genuinely, I'm touched by, by your words. I just love uh, being with the people of God. And it's a great, great joy. And thank you for the worship this morning. Great songs. And uh, in, in many ways, and I love the idea of your theme, in many ways, the theme of this morning's worship really leans in beautifully to what I want to share uh, for a few minutes today from the Word of God. So I'm going to read something from the Bible if you've got a Bible with you in one form or another on your, on your phone or your tablet or even with pages like mine, um, and if you want to follow a reading, I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. And uh, it's a magnificent, magnificent passage of Scripture. Now, Isaiah is a, a huge book, one of the biggest in what we call the Old Testament. And Isaiah has so much to say. He was a great prophet, and he served in the reign of many kings. In fact, four kings he served under the reign of as a great prophet. And he brings God's word to a very, very difficult context over the years of his reign. And this moment we're about to jump in on is a bit of a moment for Isaiah. So it'll sort of make sense as we go. So here we go. Verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 6. And it says this, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings, with two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy. Holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty." Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken uh, with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. Wow, what an amazing passage of Scripture. We've had an interesting week in the United Kingdom, haven't we? 
uh, the famous address, number 10 Downing Street, is empty once again. My goodness, you know, before COVID, our country was in a pretty good place. We were sort of politically fairly stable. Whoever you voted for, the government seemed to be sort of okay in terms of moving an agenda forward. We were certainly feeling prosperous, generally speaking, always exceptions to that rule. Our economy was at least on the surface of it pretty solid and moving along. And actually, at lots of levels, for many of us, life was pretty good. And then this little bug appeared from somewhere and disrupted our world, disrupted our lives. And then, of course, as we're coming out of lockdown and seeing, like we're feeling getting, we're getting to the other side of COVID, uh, a war breaks out not too far from here. It's still going on. Uh, still raging in front of us, which starts to affect our world again, our economy, our fuel. Uh, everything now is under scrutiny again. In the midst of all of that, our queen passes away. We not only get a new king, but we get a new prime minister in the same week. And it's all wobbly again. And then 50-odd uh, days after that, our prime minister has gone again. My goodness. And, you know, something that looked pretty solid a few years ago feels whew, not so solid today. Uh, issues that we were confident in maybe four or five years ago, maybe were not so. Businesses that existed four or five years ago, solid names in the high street, wow, disappeared and gone. And, and we're still not quite sure what it's going to look like by Christmas or what it's going to look like beyond that. My goodness, what a turbulent time we're living in. And we can't ignore that time. And even if you are a card-carrying follower of Jesus and you're filled with the Spirit, we're not immune from these, these issues. You know, uh, our, our bills are going up too. Our petrol, you know, who, who thought, I, I was driving home on Friday from getting my car serviced and I got excited at petrol at 159.9. <laughs> who knew? Who knew that that would get me excited? Who knew that I would look at my tank and think, if only I was empty. <laughs> if only I was empty. I could fill up at 159.9. Now, now, five years ago, if I'd have said to you 159, you'd have thought, I, I'm on some sort of drugs or something, if I'd have said 159. And that's, that's better than it's been. My goodness, who knew? Who could have predicted such a thing? Our world is literally being shaken. We're, as humans, we're more sophisticated than we've ever been. And it feels to me like we're more vulnerable than we've ever been. Is that fair? And I, I, I love all the technology. I love living in the 21st century. I, I wouldn't want to live in any other part of world history. I, I love living at this age. And the opportunities are tremendous. The, the advances are tremendous. Technology is tremendous. And yet I'm feeling a bit more vulnerable than I've ever felt. Even as a follower of Jesus, I feel that. As a follower of Jesus, I'm impacted by that. And you may be here not as a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're here as a guest, or you're just having a little bit of look at this church today, or you're on a spiritual journey. But for all of us, our world is literally being shaken. And I don't think it's over yet. Thanks for that, John. We really appreciate that. But I, I, I don't think it's over. I think there's a bit more Shaking. And in fact, when I read the Bible, it's sort of, the Bible's got a double edge on this. It's sort of a hope-filled future in Jesus, 
But some of the journey to that hope-filled future are going to be filled with a little bit of pain and discomfort for humanity. And actually, as I look at the Bible, and this is not to depress anybody, as I'm looking at the Bible, I'm thinking things might get a little bit worse before they get better, if they ever get better. I'm sorry, I I don't mean to depress anybody, but that's our reality. We're not living in a bubble, right? And, And hundreds of years ago, Isaiah is facing a same shaking moment. A a, a very good king, a man called Uzziah, who had been king for approximately, at that point, 52 years. Uh, Uzziah had done a great job. Now, he wasn't perfect like many of the kings, but he had done a great job in the sense of steadying the nation down. And in fact, under Uzziah's reign, he took the throne at about 16 and reigned for 52 years. Under Uzziah, Israel, uh, Isaiah's nation, prospered in a way they hadn't prospered before since the reign of a a king called Solomon. And under Solomon, that's when Israel reached its sort of uh, financial material zenith, really. That's when they became super rich under Solomon. And Uzziah has sort of restored some of the confidence around the Lord and around his ways, and people are generally living well. And it's in the midst of that, it's in the, it's in the midst of that that Uzziah then dies. And, and Isaiah breaks us into the story, and he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, so we'll just pause there, a little comma there, in the year that King Uzziah died, so Isaiah's world is about to change. Uncertainty now has been foisted upon them. What will the new king be like? What will the economy be like? What will religion be like? What will the world look like after this moment? The throne is now empty. Downing Street is empty. Right? What's it going to look like tomorrow? What names will be on the ballot tomorrow? (laughs) Who are we going to have by Friday? What's it going to look like for our pension plans? What's it going to look like for our homes, for our mortgages, for our rent, for our fuel bills, for all the stuff that is hitting us right now? I I was saying to someone, someone was talking to me about the interest rates and a bit nervous about interest rates reaching 5, 6%. And And I just had to remind them, like I said, when I bought my first house in 1988, the interest rates were 15%, one five. Now, that wasn't in Charles Dickens' day. That was like, that's like when I bought my first house. Amazing. Now, we don't want the interest rates to go back to there, but my goodness, there's an uncertainty. And in Isaiah's world, there's an uncertainty. His world now, this solid world that he woke up to every day where he knew things were just right and in their place, and this king was just bringing stability and routine and goodness to the world of Isaiah. Now this world is shaken. Now this world is upside down. But look what it says. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Right there. That's it. That's what we've been singing about. That's what we've been led in this morning beautifully. That if you're listening to this, it's actually a call that in the midst of the uncertainty, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. And actually, it's that challenge for us right now in the middle of all of this stuff, the good stuff, the bad stuff, and the ugly stuff that we're all facing together. In the midst of this stuff, here's the challenge. If I become consumed 
with the stuff. If I become consumed with the uncertainty of the empty throne, if I become consumed with the uncertainty of what life in the UK is going to look like in the next week, next few months, next couple of years, if I become consumed like that, that's going to impact everything in my world. That, that actually, if that becomes my focus, then that will take me down a direction of, I think, pain, disappointment, worry, and anxiety that will be very, very difficult to overcome. And here's the tension we have. We can't ignore the empty throne. We can't ignore the fuel prices. We can't ignore a world economy that's rumbling. We can't ignore the war in Ukraine. We can't ignore COVID. These are things right in our face. But they do not have to occupy our vision. Let me say that again. They could be in your face, but not in your vision. Come on. They can be in your face, but not in your vision. And here's what I've discovered. We follow our focus. Right? That actually what our eyes are fixed on, literally or metaphorically, what our eyes are fixed on, that's what we follow. My, my granddaughter, Abigail, is coming up to three years old. And last Christmas, we bought her a scooter. A nice pink scooter. She loves her scooter. And we even, in, in our back garden, led a, an extra little path so that she could ride her scooter. That scooter cost us a fortune. Um, and so we, we, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Let's build a path. What? Okay, so we built this little path around our garden so, so she can go on her scooter and have a great time. She loves her scooter. But I remember the first time she got on her scooter, very, very nervous. And didn't really, really quite know how it worked. And, and we noticed something. When she got on her scooter, she was looking down. Now, who knows that's a problem on a scooter? Okay. Let's hope that on your way home, everyone's looking out, right? And not looking down. So, so she's looking down. And she was wobbling and she was falling and bashing into things. And then she got a little bit of confidence and she was able to sort of push a little bit harder. But of course, as she's going down the path, she's getting very excited and she's shouting to me, Granda, and she's shouting to Nana to watch her. But of course, as she's shouting, she's looking. She's looking at us. And as she looks at us, of course, the scooter goes off course, off the path, onto the grass or into the wall. And of course, she's falling down. And now we have an incident and we've got tears, and we've got, we've got sadness going on. Now, the issue for Abigail wasn't the scooter. Nothing wrong with the scooter. The issue wasn't the path. It's a good path. <laughs> She'll never know how much that path cost us. <laughs> the issue wasn't even her ability. The issue was her focus. And we follow our focus. And Isaiah has a choice right at this moment. I can either look at the empty throne and all of that's going to bring to my world. And Isaiah's world did start to seriously shake after this. My goodness. And it ended in a fairly catastrophic moment for the nation. He can either look at the empty throne or he can make a decision. Right? All of that's in my face. But it doesn't have to be in my vision. Can't ignore the problems we're facing, but it doesn't have to fill your vision. 
We can't ignore the electric bills going up, but it, it doesn't have to fill our vision. We can't ignore the uncertainty of our world. And many parents in this room, you've got, some of you have got your children with you. Some of your, your kids will be out in the kids' program. We're, we're thinking about all of the things that we would think about. They're in our face, but they don't have to fill our vision. And that's what I, I want to encourage you with. That's why worship is so important. Worship is not a time filler. Worship's not the sort of prelim to the main event. Worship is part and parcel of teaching all of us for a few moments this morning. Okay, just, just focus. <laughs> all right, focus on me. That, that whatever's going on, those guys will sort it. So, so worship is about training me that when I stand there on that front row or, or wherever I'm standing, having got to the church through floods and diversions and, and worries and anxieties and a million things going on in my life, for a few glorious moments, worship trains me to look away from those things and to look to someone who is bigger and greater than those things. Not ignoring my realities, because we've got to go back out to it in a moment. We're not ignoring any of that. We're not living in a bubble or a parallel universe. We're living in the real world. And in fact, God wants us to live in the real world. But he wants us to live in the real world with a different vision. Not a vision that's dependent. Please don't hear me the wrong way. Not a vision that's dependent on Downing Street, but a vision that's dependent on the kingdom of heaven. Not a vision that's dependent on what's happening in Ukraine, but a vision that's dependent on Him. Not a vision that's dependent on, on the interest rates and the inflation rates, although they are scary, but a vision that depends on Him. Are, are you with me? And actually, sometimes, can I say this? And this isn't, this isn't popular, but it's true. Sometimes a moment of crisis is an opportunity for change. Amen? Now, we don't like that. We would rather be able to change without the crisis, right? If, if we could just move a different gear without going through the pain, that would be much, 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 much better. But actually, here's what I've discovered looking at the Bible. Here's my, my own experience, if I'm honest, has really aligned with what I found in the Bible. Here's what I've discovered. Often a moment of crisis, personally or corporately, a moment of crisis is an opportunity for change. And in the context of what we're facing, you and I have sort of got a choice. And it's not just a one-moment choice. This is a bit of an ongoing choice. So even if you get the right answer now, you're going to have to get up in the morning and do the right answer again. All right? It's not a one-off hit. It's a continuous... And the choice is this. Where are we going to place our focus? Is my focus going to be on the obvious, the natural, the human, the things around me? Or is my focus going to be on something higher or someone higher and greater? And that really is a choice. And you can be a follower of Jesus. Can I say this compassionately and hopefully as graciously as I dare? You can be a follower of Jesus and be looking at the wrong things. And just because we are following him in terms of a faith decision doesn't mean that actually our eyes automatically focus on him. That's why we're encouraged in 
the Bible to fix our eyes on Jesus. Because there's millions of things that will take our eyes off Jesus. Legitimate things, normal things, as well as the bad stuff. And there's a whole bunch of bad things we don't want to be looking at. But actually, normal life stuff. There's enough in normal life stuff to take my eyes off Jesus. And that's why we have to fix our eyes on him. Does that make sense? I hope it does. It's helping me in my journey. And this passage has been an encouragement to me in the midst of the turmoil in my world. It reminds me that some of the great men and women of faith in the Bible went through the same sorts of turmoils that me and you are going through. All right, the badges look different, the descriptions are different, but, but the realities are the same. And what does Isaiah do? He, he saw the Lord, but what did he see? What did he see? And I just want to lean into a little reflection on this with you for a few moments to encourage you. What did Isaiah say? Well, what he saw is summed up, and we sang this just before I got up to preach, which was brilliant. It's summed up in one phrase, and it's a phrase that these mysterious seraphs sing to God. And I don't ask me to explain who they are, no clue. No clue. Don't know. Six wings. Very interesting. Fiery serpents is the literal interpretation. Not a clue. Okay, just amazing. So we'll just accept these creatures are amazing and, and they're in the presence of God right now. And look at, listen to what they sing. They sing this, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Now, in that one song statement, there are two dynamic truths that if you and I will open up our heart to and grab, these two dynamic truths can literally transform our lives because the focus of our lives changes through these truths. Now, what are these truths? Well, the, truth, the first truth is this. Isaiah saw the transcendent Lord. Now, that's a cool word that we don't use a lot today, the word transcendence. What does the word transcendence mean? Well, it means, simply, it means sort of above or beyond something. So, if there are normal rules and uh, natural limitations, natural laws, something transcendent would be above those laws, above those rules. So, for example, let's take a, let's take, well, if, if I could fly without having to get in an aeroplane, if I could just, you know, live like a, a superman and just fly around the room and then come back to the pulpit, then I would, I would be transcendent over gravity, all right? So, there's something in me, I have an ability that's, that transcends the normal rules of gravity that keep me stuck to the ground, all right? That's the idea. Transcendence is the idea of something or someone outside the normal limitations of our world. Now that, although it's a word we don't use very often, it's a word I want you to think about. I want you to, to let your brain grab a hold of because the God we have been worshiping, when we were told this morning to think about the everlasting God, that is a transcendent idea. That doesn't compute to the human because I have a beginning, I will have an end, and outside of God's grace in terms of the resurrection from the dead, that would be me in normal circumstances. But God has no beginning, no end, and actually he lives outside of the normal restrictions of time. That's a transcendent idea. It's an idea 
where the God we serve lives above the normal rules. And look at how, look at how Isaiah sees it. He says in verse 1, he saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. Verse 3, holy, holy, holy. Now, when we hear the word holy, we often think of like moral holiness. And, and of course, that's there. But holy in the strict sense of the word, the way it's translated, is set-apartness, okay? So don't just think of holy as morally pure. Think of God's holiness here as being set apart. So verse 3, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And then in verse 5, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Now when you put those three ideas together, here's what we've got. Isaiah saw the Lord seated above. It's very important. He didn't just see him seated he was seated above, right? So this idea that God is above, in his position, there is no one equal to him. There's a thought. There's no one equal to him. Uzziah is dead, but the Lord is not. So here we've got this idea that God is seated above. Look at the second idea that actually he saw the Lord set apart. Now, now, what does that point to? This is the idea that not only has, has he no equal, there's no one at his level, he's above, but now there is no one like him. He is set apart from everybody. God is not just human plus. Come on now. He's not just a really brilliant version of you. He's not just a perfect version of a human. He is, he is other. There is no one like him. He's completely set apart. Wow. Now, and the third idea wraps this up. He saw the Lord secure in his power. What did he say? He said, my eyes have seen the king, the Lord Almighty. The Lord who is, so he's not just the king, but he is almighty. Now look at that. He sees him seated above so he has no equal. He sees him set apart because there's no one like him. And he sees him secure in his power, which means he has no rival. Now what Isaiah is seeing is this. He's seeing a God who is transcendent. Above all, beyond all, greater than all. And isn't it interesting that he sees that revelation of who the Lord is like that at a moment when the throne is empty, at a moment when the kingdom is shaking, at a moment when all that was certain is now uncertain and all that was secure is no longer secure. And he sees a revelation of God that says, God is above all this. In, in other words, in this context, it means this. He is not limited by our limitations. He is not held by what's going on around us. He's not in any way threatened by the dictators of our universe. He's not threatened by the things that are happening here on the earth. There's nothing that we can do that threatens his status. Are you with me? That makes sense? And that's why we can worship him with such confidence because what we're not worshiping is just a cool idea. What we're not worshiping is just a human plus. What we're worshiping is a transcendent God 
who is above all of this in the proper, I don't mean distant from us, but above all of this. And he is able to reign and rule regardless of the circumstances that you and I face today. Isaiah saw the Lord existing apart from and not subject to the limitations of our world. And that's really important for you. That's really important for me. That actually, without being frivolous about our world, we're not. And I tried to really start this sermon today by making sure I, I was letting you know I wasn't ignoring the realities of the world in which we're living in. We're, we're not living in a bubble. We're not uh, exempt from the pressures. But we're worshiping a God who is not impacted or restricted or diminished by those pressures and whose power and life can come into my world. I, I, I love flying, but most people don't know. I've done probably hundreds, if not thousands of flights in, in my lifetime in terms of ministry and, and travel. I'm not sure what Greta Thornburg would think of my carbon footprint, um, but, but I, I love flying. What many people don't know is that I'm very prone to being airsick which for someone who likes flying is a problem, right? So every time I get on a plane, I send up a little prayer to the Lord. Lord, don't let me disgrace myself on the plane. I have done a couple of times. He hasn't answered my prayer, always. And I have to say, it's very, very embarrassing when you have to hand an air hostess a bag that's filled with your breakfast. Um, and I've had to do that a few times. That's gross, isn't it? So, so when I get on a plane, I, I'm, and especially if the weather's bad, and I remember um, flying from Belfast back to Birmingham, and I was hoping for a decent-sized plane, but they were putting us on a relatively small plane. It was a 36-seater plane, okay? And I'm already nervous. The rain is coming down. The clouds are dark over Belfast Lock, and I've flown in and out of Belfast Lock many, many times, and you literally fly up the lock. Well, the, the crosswinds are incredible. If you like roller coasters, if you love Alton Towers, listen, you'll save a fortune. Just take one of those flights during the rain, and you'll have the time of your life. It's just amazing. So, so I, I'm sort of, Lord, please help me. And I remember as we, as we were about to revving up to go up the runway, the captain said, now it's going to be rough. <laughs> so when the captain says it's going to be a bit rough, you know, oh my goodness gracious. So I, I'm closing my eyes. I'm breathing through my nostrils. I'm trying to calm my heart rate down. And I'm gripping on to the, to the sort of, the, the handle beside me, and trying to look brave uh, to the people sitting beside me. And off we went, and we went hurtling up. And, and as we took off, it was horrific. The plane was bouncing up and down, moving side to side. Oh, my goodness. You know it's rough when it goes quiet. <laughs> Have you been on a plane like that? Where it just goes quiet. You might hear a hum of prayer uh, being raised, but it just goes quiet. And it, was, it just seemed to last forever. Now, in reality, in truth, it only lasts a couple of minutes. And then suddenly, suddenly, the, the shaking stopped and we had emerged above the clouds. And an amazing thing happened. When we got above the clouds, it was clear blue sky. Not a storm in sight. Right? No rain. No shaking. The plane just was calm. It was amazing. I, I realized why I love flying. 
as I looked out the window. It was absolutely amazing. And I remember taking a picture of these gorgeous fluffy clouds that a few minutes before had terrorized me. (laughs) Same clouds. The bottom of the cloud gray, top of the cloud white, right? Below the cloud, rain, storm being pushed around. Above the cloud, clear blue sky. What changed was just perspective. It's it's, it's actually, I'm still in the same place. But what has changed is, actually, I'm now seeing that world differently. It's still the same world. It's still the same storm that's going on around me. I'm, I'm going to have to come back into Birmingham through that storm again. But for a few glorious moments, I got my head above the clouds. I got my eyes above the storm. I got my eyes somewhere that was greater than the somewhere I had been. That's why this idea of God's transcendence is so important. It can feel like it's a million miles away from us. And and, and we heard this morning, you know, my goodness, I struggle to get my head around that. But that's why these ideas are worth grappling with. They're worth reading. They're worth confessing. They're worth singing about. Because here's what they're doing. They're pushing us above the clouds. They're pushing us to a world where actually God is unthreatened by the storm that is frightening us. And that God is undiminished and unchanged. And that's not a cop-out. That's when we understand that the God that we serve is not impacted by the storm, but actually is above the storm. That can, if we properly understand that, fill us with hope and fill us with life. Now, now, if Isaiah ended there, that would, well, that would be good, but he doesn't end there because Isaiah then goes on to tell us this, or at least he sees this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then it says this, the whole earth is filled with his glory. We have a second bit, which is the amazing second truth that I want you to think about. Not only is God transcendent above, beyond untouched by the storm, but he is imminent. He is near. He is close. He is here. And we get this gorgeous, now, paradox, this tension of truth that's being held together in this one statement. He is above, and yet he is close. He fills the heavens and sits on a throne above Uzziah's, a throne that's greater than Uzziah's, and yet his glory is filling the earth that I live in. He's a God who is above and beyond, but now we're seeing he is a God who is near. And we see it three times again in the passage, just like we saw three aspects of his transcendence. We see the same thing with his closeness, his eminence. It says in verse 1, the train of his robe filled the temple. So the God who sits above fills the temple that Isaiah is in. What a cool idea. That actually the God who is holy, holy verse 3, says his, the whole earth is filled with his glory. And then God says at the end, who will I send to the earth and who will go for us? And of course, Isaiah responds and says, I'll go. So three ideas collide. He's above that transcendent idea. But what do we learn? Yet he has come down to the temple. He's here right now with me and you. He's here. 
right now, in the midst of interest rates rising, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of fuel prices and political unrest, He is with us. He's not just sitting above the temple. He is now filling the temple. He's here with us right now. Secondly, He's apart. There's no one like Him. And yet, what does it say? This apart God, there's no one like this God, this God who sits apart, now fills the earth with His glory. Wants to live among us and help us. He's almighty, Isaiah said, yet he invites Isaiah into his journey. He says to Isaiah, will you go for us? That's really what he's saying. I want someone to go. Will you go? And this God who is almighty, all-powerful, who could do it all by himself, invites Isaiah into the journey. So we get this gorgeous connection that even though he exists outside, he doesn't stay there. Come on. He exists outside but he doesn't stay there. What does he do? He draws near. He exists outside, but he lives inside. Now, I don't know about you, and and that may or may not make sense to you, and it may or may not be helping you, but this has absolutely continued to help me in my journey because I get the best of all worlds, potentially, if I believe this. I get to trust in a God who, regardless who the prime minister is, regardless what the interest rate is, regardless what Putin or other people are deciding to do today to our world, I trust in a God who is not impacted by anything that a human can do. He is above all the power of humanity, and there is no one like him. He is the transcendent God, and I put my trust in him. So whatever happens, whatever happens, that stays the same. That does not change. He does not change. All right? It's solid. You can, you can put not just your mortgage on that. You can put your life on that. That will not fail. And in the darkest of days, the worst of days, the best of days, he remains the same. And that, to me, is an incredible encouragement. I've been trying to encourage my family and encourage my friends with the idea, listen, I know our world is shaking, but God's not shaking. I know interest rates are are wobbling, but God's not wobbling. I know Downing Street's empty again, but the throne of heaven is not empty again. We'll never be empty. So this is why together, when we worship together and draw around the Word of God together, that's why it's so important to us that we're focusing. But, that, but that's great. But, but that God who lives outside, untouched, wants to get into my world, wants to live with me, is interested in the fact that actually I've got a mortgage to pay, is interested in the fact that actually I've got a car to run, is interested in the fact that I've got a family to raise. He's not just sitting away up there going, hello. But he comes down to us. And actually, when our focus can grab a hold, latch on to, fix on to that God and an understanding that he's not just a part transcendent, but he's inside, imminent, actually, that faith, that vision opens up the door for him and allows him to actively come into my world and actively engage with me right where I am. And I love this, that we serve a God who is not just existing outside, but he wants to live inside. And that's the God Isaiah saw. And this happens in Isaiah 6. Isaiah will prophesy for another 60 chapters. 
Instead of Isaiah's life finishing and his ministry finishing and his ministry diminishing, if anything, Isaiah's ministry goes into overdrive after this. Isaiah uh, brings some of the most dynamic words of the Lord that we still quote and we love. In fact, Isaiah becomes Jesus' favorite prophet. Jesus quotes Isaiah more than any other prophet in the Old Testament. He loves Isaiah. But Isaiah gets all these glorious revelations about who Jesus is and about the future of the world. But actually, there's a moment where he's wobbling. He's shaking. And in the year that King Uzziah died, he saw the Lord. And it was seeing the Lord that changed everything in Isaiah. Now let me say this, and it's, it'll sound like a cop-out, but it's not. Seeing the Lord may not change what's around you, but it will change what's inside you. And if it changes what's inside you, it will change the way you and I engage with the world around us. Yep. Now, I've, I've had moments where I've prayed and the Lord has answered. And He's changed something around me. And I've had moments where I've prayed and it hasn't changed around me. But here's what I've discovered. Every time, and this is why, on the front row, I lean in hard in these moments. And, you know, as a guest speaker, the easiest thing would be is just like sit there, wait, wait till you're done, and then I'll get up and do my thing. But no, I, I've trained myself to engage with the worship because this is as important to me now than it's ever been. Because I want to lean into a vision of God. Because here's what I've discovered. When I see Him, I change. Even if the world around me doesn't change. Even if my situation doesn't change, I change. And when I change, everything changes. And that's so, so important for us. That our vision, the vision of the Lord, is not just a vision of a God who wants to fill the whole earth with his glory, but a God who wants to come right to you where you are. I love that. I love the fact that we serve a God whose plan is macro. It's so big, our brains frazzle at the idea of it. But he's so micro that he knows our names. He knows the hairs on our head. He knows the mail that we had this morning, our emails and our text message and our WhatsApp, can't encrypt anything in the eyes of God. He knows everything about me, and yet he's wanting to be involved in my world. I love what Isaiah said later on. He says, when you pass through the waters. It's pretty apt for this morning, right? Some of us have literally passed through waters to get here. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Now note that, through and with. He doesn't say when you get out of the waters, but when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned and the flames will not set you ablaze. Now here's, here's the kicker. Here's what it says. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Now, here's the paradox, right? If he was my savior, why do I have to go through? Why couldn't he just get me out? I mean, do you ever read that? Is that am I being irreverent? Am I, have I asked the wrong question? If, if he's my savior, why do I have to go through the waters? Why do I have to go through the rivers? Why do I have to go through the, the, the flames? Why can't he just 
get us out of that? Well, well, the answer is, is really there in the Bible. Actually, there are moments when He does rescue us out of all of those things. And many of you in this room can testify to this. But in the moments where it doesn't look like we are being rescued, here's what He says, I am with you in it. I am with you. And ladies and gentlemen, that's a, that's a transformational vision. I think one of the challenges sometimes, if you've been around the church for a wee while like me, maybe some of you are relatively new to the journey of Jesus in the church, but when you've been around the church a wee bit, you get used to these ideas. You get used to these words. Oh yeah, the Lord's with me. And if we're not careful, we can give a brain assent to those words without really believing. Hold on, he really is with me. Is he with me right now? And this God who is above, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. This God wants to be with us. You know, I'm reminded of the words of John. And John, speaking about Jesus, said this, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He goes on to say that through that Word, all things were made. And without that Word, nothing was made that has been made. And then if, as we read on down through the chapter, he suddenly tells us who the Word is. The Word is God the Son. And what does that Word do? The Word who was there in the beginning, before the beginning, before the beginning of the beginning, that transcendent Word, what does He do? That Word, that God, that Son of God becomes flesh and lives among us. The God who is out there, who could stay out there and live happily ever after, comes into human flesh and lives in here to be among us, to reach us, to touch us, to love us, and to transform us, and to show us that the God who is out there wants to live in here. I don't know where you live, but He wants to live in here with you. He wants to live in here with us. He wants to enter our world. And and I want to encourage you this morning as I draw this to a close in prayer. I want to encourage you to open up your, your eyes and open up your heart and invite the God who is out there, the transcendent God, to come into the ordinary routine mess, challenge, fear, anxiety of in here. Because even though he lives out there, he wants to live in here with us. And I love that. And this is not a fairy tale. It's not a cop-out. It's not a crutch for the broken. It is the foundation on which we can build our lives. And it is a vision which can transform every part of our world. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. No one like Him. Above all, no rival no one who is like him, and yet that God fills the earth with his glory.
wants to draw near to where we are. And I want to encourage you that the God who met Isaiah can meet us. And we can see him like Isaiah saw him, literally with our eyes. I still believe that stuff. I still believe that humans can see the glory of God in a literal way. So I'm open to that. But we can also see him through the magnificence of the word that he's given us. We've had that this morning in our worship. We can see him even through the community of faith that we are a part of. We can see him in many different ways, but we want to see him as the God who is above, but the God who wants to draw near. And I want to pray for you in the challenge of the everyday that we will have that vision. Amen? That this week as we decide on yet another prime minister, remember he is on the throne and he is with us. Amen? If you can, would you stand with me? I'm going to invite, are you guys coming back to do a final song? Or Yeah. If the band want to get ready, you, you can. Or you can wait. I'm just going to, whatever is easiest for you, just do what you need to do. Waiting for a signal. Yeah, yeah, come on. The writer to the Hebrews said, fix your eyes on Jesus. Author perfecter of our faith. The Scriptures, free and beautiful prayers. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. And every single one of us face challenges, but every one of us in this room have option, the opportunity to lift up our eyes to the King and see someone who is not only above and beyond, but someone who wants to live near. And in a moment, we'll say amen at the end of the service. In a moment, we'll all rush back to our worlds. We may have to drive through the same floods that we negotiated getting here. We're going to go back to the same interest rates and the same uncertainties and the same challenges. But there is a possibility that we can go back changed. Changed by a vision of him. Changed by something beyond ourselves. And the Lord wants to reveal himself to every one of us. And he would ask that our hearts simply be open and receptive to him. Like Abigail, we can so easily get distracted, look around at the wrong things, even look around at legitimate things. But the Lord wants us to look at him. Look at me. Look at me, he says. Look at me. And if you see me, then everything will change in your vision as you look at your world. And so as I'm about to pray, if you associate with that, identify with that, respond to that, here's what I'd like you to do. My eyes are closed. I'm encouraging you to keep your eyes closed. But here's what I'd love you to do. 
I'd love you to, if you can, place your hands over your eyes as I pray. If you're wanting to connect with me, that is, there's nothing magical or mystical about this. This is just a symbol, a, a physical response to the truth you've heard today. That if you're saying, Lord, I want to see you. I want to see your transcendence. I want to see your eminence. I want to see that you are the God who is above, but you are the God who is near. I need to see you in a way I've never seen you before. I need to see you afresh. If that's you, then as I pray, just place your hands or a hand over your eyes as a symbol that you want Jesus to open your eyes to see him. And in a simple act of humility and in a simple act of faith, I believe he responds to humility. He responds to hunger. He responds to us as we reach out to him. Lord, for those in this room, for the families and lives they represent beyond this room, I ask, open our eyes that we would see your wonders. Open our eyes that we would see the God who is seated above the throne. Open our eyes to see the King, the Lord Almighty. Open our eyes to see the God who is holy and set apart. Open our eyes to see the everlasting God who was and who is and who is to come. Open our eyes to see the one who not only created the universe, but sustains the universe by the word of his power. Open our eyes to see the sovereign Lord, the one who sits upon the circle of the earth. Open our eyes to see the everlasting God open our eyes to see the one true and living God and Holy Spirit I pray that you would also open our eyes to see the God who is near the God who is with us the God who is for us the God who walks with us, guides us, leads us, will never abandon the works of his hands. The God who wants to bring his supernatural grace and power into the ordinary and the routine of our lives. The God who wants to speak to our fear and our anxiety and our worry and our disappointment. The God who wants to get into that bed with us. The God who wants to walk that path with us. The God who wants to sit in that car with us. The God who wants to inhabit the intimacy of our world. May our eyes be open to see that God. May our eyes be open to see you in your intimacy and closeness as never before that every one of us would know we are not alone. We are not abandoned. 
you are able to do more than we can ask or imagine according to your power that is at work within us. And so, Lord, I pray, may the spirit of wisdom and revelation be on every one of us that we may see, that we may know the hope to which we have been called. May the eyes of our hearts be enlightened, that we may know that hope live in that hope. And Lord, I pray, may each of us as we leave this place have our eyes fixed on you and may that vision of you transform each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.